in Matthew's gospel as Jesus is nearing the end of his life, right before he's about to be uh, arrested and crucified, he has his disciples together and he pulls them together and, and he, he says these uh, words and asks this question. He says, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And the disciples replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elisha, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus asked them, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by the flesh and blood, no, 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 but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. But then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he... Uh, and and the teachers of the law, and all that he must be killed, and on the third day raised to life. Peter then took him aside and said, This shall never happen to you, Lord. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to lose their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me to for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Will you pray with me? Holy God, fill this place. Our way maker, our miracle worker, our promise keeper, our light in the darkness. Fill our hearts, Lord Jesus. You are our God. And even when we can't see it, you're working. Even when we can't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. And Lord, you declared through Peter that on this rock you will build your church and the gates of hell won't overcome it. And we stand on that truth today that you are the cornerstone your name we pray. Everyone said amen. Well, hey, good morning and welcome to Crossbridge Community Church. If this is your first time visiting, my name is Jordan. I am our online pastor and one of our teaching pastors here at C3 and have the privilege of just continuing our series, Big Church, where we stand on that truth that Jesus said years and years ago to Peter. He said, on this rock, Peter's name translates in Greek to kephos, which means rock. And so he's saying, on this rock, through you, Peter, I'm going to launch the church. And the gates of hell won't be able to overcome it. 
And then just a few verses later, Peter tries to prevent the suffering of Jesus. And Jesus rebukes him, says, get behind me, Satan, for the suffering I must endure has to happen. So many of us try to avoid that. But as Brad's going to talk a little bit more next week, this is kind of the pre-sermon before his sermon. Followers of Christ, we can't avoid the suffering. Living for Jesus isn't easy, but it's so, so, so worth it. And so for this series, we're walking through the life of the early church. And Acts, as a book, covers the first 30 years of church history. And when I was uh, first getting my degree, I, I had specialized in church history and loved studying the early church, loved studying Acts, loved studying how Christ followers, after first receiving the Holy Spirit, were just on fire and ready to go. And as they were taking the word into all of the neighboring communities, they started to experience intense persecution, like thrown in the lion's den persecution, like burned at the stake in persecution, crucifixion on the cross, uh, just beating after beating after beating. They were exiled from their Jewish community because the Jewish culture wanted nothing to do with the now Christian Jewish culture. And so every where that they went, they were seen as outsiders. And yet the church continued to grow and expand, and God added to their number daily. So last week, I had the privilege of kicking off this series, walking through Acts 1 and Acts 2, where Jesus, after he was arrested, then killed, then resurrected from the dead, he walked on this earth for 40 days performing signs and miracles, and then he ascended to heaven and through his apostles launched the church. And as they are waiting for the Holy Spirit, praying in the room, they then receive it. And as we walk through the Holy Spirit, for some of us, we hear that language and we become concerned or unsure of what the Holy Spirit is, or better yet, who the Holy Spirit is, for the Holy Spirit is a person. And we did an entire series on this, and I broke it down last week, but just in simplest terms, the Holy Spirit is God and is the person of God on earth and in us when we allow him to be. And you don't have to become worried when you hear the language Holy Spirit like it's this ghost. It's the Holy Ghost, but it's not, you know, this ghost just floating around. Okay, you can actually replace Holy Spirit in that same definition with Jesus. Jesus is God and was the person of God on earth and in us when we allowed him to be. And so when Jesus ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit is now God on earth earth is God in the person of God. And so Pentecost happens, Acts chapter 2, the second half of last week's sermon. And the apostles and the believers of Jesus in this room receive the Holy Spirit and immediately go out to preach the gospel, the resurrected Jesus, the salvation for our sins. And a crowd starts to form. And Jesus, Peter starts, excuse me, preaching the good word of Jesus. And lives are changing, numbers are added daily. 
And then the church goes through this really cool time. And I actually wanted to read the last five verses of Acts chapter 2, what we walked through at the very end of last week. And this is what happens to the early church. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. The Christ followers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so last week, as we wrapped up the message, I gave us four next steps as Christ followers so that maybe, perhaps, we would recapture recapture uh, just a piece of what the early church had. And I believe we can through the Holy Spirit. And so the four next steps come, came directly from Acts 2.42. Next step number one, be devoted to the apostles' teaching. The apostles, another name for the original 12 disciples, and so what, was the, what were they teaching? What were they sharing? They were teaching Jesus' words. They were teaching the gospel. They were teaching the forgiveness of sins. They were teaching the scriptures. They were teaching about the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, and now what we do through the Holy Spirit. Second next step that I gave is be devoted to fellowship. And friends, we cannot do this life alone. That's why we meet here on Sundays as a community to come together and fellowship. But that's also why we take this community outside of these walls and we have our sports program through C3 Sports. We have our small groups that meet throughout the week. We engage with one another online Monday through Sunday so that we can continue to participate in each other's lives. Which leads me to the next step number three, be devoted to sharing a meal. Be devoted to breaking bread. It was so important in their culture to share a meal together. In fact, the Jews practice something called table fellowship. It's something that Jesus heavily used as his outreach program, table fellowship. And at their times was often used as a way to show people who you accepted. And so who you shared a meal with showed culture who you were okay being associated with. Well, Jesus comes in and he broke all the rules. He started sitting with sinners and Pharisees and poor people and lepers and those who were, who were different than, than him. He, he broke the racial divide. He broke the societal divide. And he showed the people he was ministering to that if we are going to live out the gospel, we must first be willing to share a meal with someone who is different than us. And step that, next step number four, be devoted to prayer. And so the apostles were praying daily. They weren't just praying to God, they were listening for God. They were sitting in silence, but they were also praising God in the midst of their storms. And there were a lot of them. As it is so with us, today. Well, the title of today's message, and we're walking through Acts chapter 3 and 4, is Speak with Great Boldness. Speak with Great Boldness. Because now we're going to, and what we see the apostles do, is take 
what they were doing in their little community of Christ followers and bring it to the rest of the world. And so if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 3. We're going to walk through a ton of scripture today. We're probably going to go a little bit late, but God's moving and that's okay. And so verses uh, 1 through 10, I'm going to read in Acts chapter 3 and then go back and break it down. Luke writes this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I want to stop there for just a second, like I said, and break down kind of not just the historical significance of what we see in those first 10 verses, but also the command that the disciples are living out by being in the hands and feet of Jesus. And so what we have happening here is an individual who is lame at birth going to the temple courts to uh, beg for money. Lame at birth, not able to provide for himself. And so he was most likely carried by his friends and family members to the temple courts to be able to ask people for financial support. And where he is positioned is at the gate called Beautiful. Now, this is so fascinating. One of the secular historical accounts that we have proving the life of Jesus is through the historical account of Josephus. Josephus was an individual historian uh, and a leader uh, throughout Rome after the life of Jesus who started to write certain things to kind of document historically what was taking place. And so Josephus is one of actually the greatest pieces of evidences that we have that Jesus was a real human being. And so he's writing about this temple gate beautiful. And why it was called beautiful was because the other entrances were made around the temple with the same type of material. But there was this one entrance for some reason that was used with the most expensive material that was available. And so it was called beautiful. Now, why was this so significant? Well, for begging, if you were going to ask people for money, you want to be seated around that which the wealthy people were going to enter. And the beautiful gate entrance was only available for either special guests, special people, or those who were financially well off. It's like with trick-or-treating. You go to the nicer neighborhoods for the full chocolate bars. Some of you know what I'm saying. And so this is the same thing that's happening as those who were begging. They went to the temple gate called Beautiful because that is where the most privileged were allowed to enter. And so Peter and John are going through this entrance and they are approached in conversation by this man. Peter then and John make eye contact. And he says, look at us. And they've got him hooked. Here's why. 
And he goes on to say, because they made eye contact with him, he believed he was going to get something. And perhaps you are someone who, as you're driving on the street, if there's someone asking for money on the road, what do a lot of us do? We just don't make eye contact. We try to ignore. Why? Because as soon as you make that connection, it's more often than not you're going to give something or something is expected. And so that's why a lot of us wouldn't, not rightfully so, just ignore the person and keep on driving. And so as soon as this beggar, who'd probably been ignored quite a bit, made eye contact with Peter and John, he's expecting something. And Peter says, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. And then through his bold and courageous faith, he caused the man to get up and walk, and then he helps him up, and they enter into the temple rejoicing. And as I was reflecting on those 10 verses, honestly, those verses in that passage was, as I was reading this week, I spent most of my sermon prep time thinking about those 10 verses. So apparently the rest of the sermon is just not going to be good. Because there's a lot to still cover. But those 10 verses, there was something about it. And I, I came to the realization that it was because I was envious of the type of faith that Peter had. To be able to call to someone who was crippled and being able to, through the Holy Spirit, not his power, the Holy Spirit's power, heal him. And why I struggle so much is I've had family members who have been ill most of their lives. Who I crave that same faith, wondering why God heals some people and doesn't heal others. And so questioning, is my faith just not strong enough? And then I'm reminded of the passage in Scripture where Jesus goes to the man's house to heal his child. And he asks the man, do you believe I can do this? And the man responds, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. And as a pastor with family members who are struggling and someone who hears and sees the stories of a lot of people who just are never healed, I sit in that verse a lot. I do believe God. Help me in my unbelief. Or the second part of it, when Paul is talking about the thorn in his flesh, where he's prayed three times to God, and God hasn't taken away his thorn, hasn't healed him, sometimes God says no. And that's hard to reconcile. But I'm encouraged by Peter and John's faith. I want so desperately to have the same boldness that they have. And so the story continues in verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in one place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate. Though he had decided to let him go, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer, Barabbas, be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witness of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and you know 
was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. And so they go on and continue to preach the good news, preach the gospel, preach about the resurrection of the dead and the forgiveness of sins. And in doing so, if you remember at the very beginning of the message, I talked about how there was now this divide between Jews who were culturally Jewish and also those who were culturally Jewish but believed in the Savior. After Jesus resurrected, there was this weird tension that was created. And almost, it ended up becoming a persecution where the culturally Jewish people exiled the Christian Jews. Those who were culturally Jewish but believed in the Savior. And so the priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the culturally Jewish people who were there to pray were very frustrated that Peter and John came to the temple to start proclaiming about this dead guy who they thought they had killed and gone away with was somehow still alive and living among us through the Holy Spirit. And so what do they do? They ended up arresting Peter and John, throwing them into prison. But what's fascinating, if you remember, when we walked through the Easter story in a couple of weeks, and Good Friday, Jesus arrested at night, the Pharisees and the temple leaders ended up holding an illegal trial in the middle of the night. Why was it illegal? Well, it was against Jewish custom to hold a trial in the middle of the night because you wanted to have a fair trial, and you wanted to give people the time of day to be able to support it, and people were sleeping. Well, what happens is the opposite with Peter and John. It's the middle of the night. It's nighttime while they're being arrested. And so they wait overnight before they hold their trial. And so chapter 4, verse 5 is where we pick up our story. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And then Luke, through Peter, goes on to quote Psalm 118. Jesus is, verse 11, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Verse 13, when they saw the courage and the boldness of Peter and John, they realized that they were just unschooled, ordinary men. And they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And so they kind of go off to the side. They converse about the trial, what has happened, what they should do with Peter and John. But they're in kind of a pickle because so many Surrounding people had seen this beggar being healed, and so there was clearly a miracle that took place. So they couldn't just kind of brush it under the rug. They had to address it. And so they come back to Peter and John in verse 19 and 20, and they say this. Uh, actually, right before this, they say, hey, you can't speak in the name of Jesus, and this is their response. But Peter and John replied, 
which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or him? You be the judges. As for us, and I love this phrasing, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And so they end up saying a few more threats to them, but then sending them on their way. So Peter and John, in their boldness and in their faith, end up going back to their community that we saw in Acts 2 in those last few verses. And this is the experience that they have. Verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Then he quotes Psalm again, chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Peter goes on, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, God. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Verse 29, and, and I have this verse highlighted. It's so powerful and is the theme for this message. Now, Lord... Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hands to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. What a powerful prayer. I want that boldness. We crave that boldness. And so what then immediately starts happening? Well, just like in Acts chapter 2, where the last five verses demonstrate that boldness and faith through actions. You saw it through words with Peter and John. Then the church lived it out. The exact same five verses are replicated here at the end of Acts 4. And so here's what happens as we close today. All the believers, verse 32, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They continued to share the gospel. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. And so now... They're continuing to live out the gospel, verse 44, that they were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. I just love that entire story. In Acts 1 through 4, four of my, like I said last week, four of my favorite chapters. It makes, makes my job so easy. I just come up here and read scripture. And, and, and it's so powerful. But I, I crave that boldness. And I think so many of us do as well. 
And let's be honest, some of us are really good at vocalizing in boldness the gospel. Some of us aren't very good, and that's okay. Continue to work on that. Some of us are really good at volunteering and serving and through our actions proclaiming the gospel. Some of us are very good, and that's okay. Continue to work on that. I love this story because we see the both and. We see how the disciples, through their words, were sharing truth. And through their actions, were living out truth. And may it be so with us. So here's how I want to close today. I want to close in prayer. I actually want to pray the same prayer that we saw the disciples pray. Asking God for boldness. So here's what I want to ask you to do. If you'll feel comfortable, close your eyes, whether you're online or in person, and just open up your palms to the sky if you feel comfortable. And either repeat after me internally or externally, whatever, whatever you are comfortable with. As we pray, Holy Spirit, fill this place. We ask for boldness. We ask for your strength. We ask for your mercy. We ask for the fruit of the Spirit to fill us and be cultivated through the fruit for others. We thank you for loving us and for dying for us so that we may have life through you. Make us bold in our words and our actions.